Right, hello and welcome to the Panache Cast. Uh, this is Panache Software's weekly podcast where we bring you the latest news and events in the world of legal tech. Uh, I'm Peter Davis and this is episode five. Uh, this week's show, we're going to be covering the role of the CIO in a law firm, uh, the ESA's publishment of the joint advice on information and communication technology, risk management and cybersecurity, which is a bit of a mouthful, yep. uh, and a land registry blog post which uh, covers digital mortgages and blockchains. Um, but before we get into all of that, I'd like to welcome my co-host Neil Pemberton, who I think this week got the letter from the marketing department about our uh, yeah. brand awareness. It's all, with about, his t-shirt. all about branding. <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. Uh, I'll come on to how you can get one of these wonderful t-shirts yourself in a minute. But I want to start by saying, you know, great to be back. But Last week, we talked about, in our events section, we talked about a couple of blockchain events that were coming up um, in London at the Olympia. And uh, we finished that little segment by saying we haven't seen any sort of, any any blockchain products coming onto the market. Yeah, not much. Nothing. We've Um, seen too much compared to AI solutions and all those kind of things. Exactly. So we thought that blockchain was a fairly limited market and not much on the scene. And then at about nine o'clock on Monday morning, um, we saw a land registry blog post which talks about digital mortgages and blockchain. So that, that timing couldn't have been any better as far yeah. as we're concerned for them having talked about that. So great that that's going to be in the show. I look forward to that section. But yeah. before then, I thought I, what I'd like to do, we normally start by saying on the platforms that we're available on and we're on pretty much all of the social media platforms now. I want to focus though on our Patreon account. Um, Patreon, uh, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. If you go to www.patreon.com forward slash Panache Software, you'll see all of our shows are uploaded there and there's more information. We'll be adding more information as as time goes on. And it's very easy to follow us on that. If you just click the follow button and put your email address in or whatever, you'll get notifications to say when the shows are released. And that usually, I mean, I usually get a notification when the shows are up. Same sort of time as you email me. Immediately, to say that. Yeah. <laughs> Immediately once I publish them, yeah. they're, uh, as they're, soon as they're on. They're available for people who can't wait to get another installment. Um, but we've got on there, the whole point of the Patreon page is so that we can raise some funding to try and build you know, a better show for everybody who's watching and listening. That will be better audio equipment, better video equipment, um, you know, a, a recording studio, guests, and so on. So all of that will help us bring you a better show if you don't could go on there and support us that would be wonderful and, and allow us to keep the shows free as well exactly yeah it's all um it's all free time so if we can if we can get some support on that that would be great and there are various membership levels so we we, we tried to put down and um, they're all in dollars because it's an american yeah. platform so we can't do anything about that but um the paralegal level is it's two dollars if you want to be a paralegal um that's where you're starting off and it's about one pound fifty a month for that um, so a cup of coffee or something. A cup like of that. coffee, uh, probably much cheaper than a cup cheap, of coffee. Yeah. A cheap coffee. If you're, if you're in London, that's half of a cup of coffee. I think yeah, it, so, show, it shows that I don't spend much time in London, no. doesn't it? If it <laughs> no. Um, but um, like we said earlier, if you want one of these snappy T-shirts or something similar, um, you can get one of those if you become an associate, which at current rate is five dollars or three pounds eighty. So that's probably a London cup of coffee, and you can have one of these similar, T-shirts yeah. from us. Um, Go onto the Patreon page and have a look. Um, we have various different levels, as we've said, paralegal associate, partner, and named partner. And for anyone who's watches or is a fan of um, Suits... and Which I believe is a documentary series, <laughs> as I've been led to believe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, fly on the wall accurate. documentary. Yeah, you can be assured. Again, yeah. named partner and your name on the wall. That's what everybody talks about. And yeah. uh, it happens straight away uh, or within a few seasons. But if anyone's seen that and knows what Lewis Litt's gone through to get his name on the wall... Um, 
you'll see that a named partner of $20 a month is excellent value. Super value. <laughs> so um, you can get your name on the wall and not get disbarred the following day. It would be tremendous if you could do that. Brilliant. So, um, yeah, go onto the Patreon uh, page if you can and have a look. Um, if you do nothing else and follow us, that would be great. Um, or you can email us at panashcast at panashsoftware.com. Yeah, it's so. just to say that I say there's no requirement for anyone no. to sign up for this. It's just if you like what you're listening to or, or, or watching, it's just a way to, to mm-hmm. support the podcast if, yeah. if you want to. Exactly. So, okay, enough of that um, preamble. Let's get into the news. What do we got first, Pete, this week? Okay, yeah. So um, the first the first post comes from uh, the Raconteur again mm-hmm. um, that we used last week. Um, this is from this week's posting, and, and it's CIO's struggle for true digital transformation. Uh, and this was a study of 400 CIOs uh, by Citrix and OnePoll. Um, and it, it, it basically covers how they're dealing with changes in the digital landscape. And, mm. you know, as more firms move, not just law firms, but any, any firms move to, to using more digital information and mm. um, more software solutions and stuff and, and how that's handled. Um, so we, we wanted to take out a couple of points yeah. from this, which we think apply to, uh, as I say, not just law firms, but every company really, but some of them we've, we've had experience with, with law firms. Um, yeah. So, I mean, one of the first things that they talk about in here is um, that one in four CIOs um, feel that they're held back by what they term sacred cows, which are ways of working in the organization that are immune to criticism. Mm. Um, and we've come across this kind of thing before. And, and yeah. it, it's related to areas, for instance, we, we've discussed uh, software solutions with uh, in the realms of conveyancing and, and yeah. places like that. And then being told that, you know, although it would fit with a conveyancing team, you know, the corporate lawyers in London yeah. would never use something like that to do yeah. um, what they do. Yeah. Uh, and the question is, you know, why is that? Why? You know, th- yeah. There's no reason why they couldn't. It's just they refuse to change their way of working. Yeah, well, yeah. When it, it is strange. And for if you go and try and find out what law firms are looking for from the people that they hire, and I think everybody now includes a question which is, or is like, tell us about a circumstance when you have used your initiative to change the, or challenge the status quo. Yeah. Um, and everybody comes up with their with their with their staple answer for that question, knowing they're going to get asked it. But so few firms actually really do you know, genuinely challenge the status quo. Yeah. And if you try and challenge the status quo, you can encounter a lot of resistance. So it, it is a difficult one to understand why that's the case. Um, and to be honest with you, maybe people are frightened of just making a mistake and, and trialing something which ultimately turns out to be a bad thing. I mean, I, I don't think that's a wise move because you can spend time carrying on as you are but you can guarantee your competition is trying something new and if you keep trying something new long enough eventually it'll work out so you know remaining in uh, remaining in a a a status position is not really an option in today's world so people really should be trying something new and they don't have to necessarily be you know brand spanking new total complete revolutionary way of doing something Small changes can can often mount up to something significantly better. Yeah, I, I think it's it it can be more around you know you should be able to provide constructive criticism on existing ways of working and you know look at alternatives for that. Look yeah. at newer solutions. Now it may be that 
after an evaluation, it's de- determined that actually, no, the, the status quo is the correct way to do things. Yeah. Um, but there should never be any pushback from potentially looking into making changes to, to reevaluate these things. Yeah. You should be open for that kind of thing. I think uh, so. And also, if you, if, where we've encountered it before, like you said, one department not necessarily working in the same way as another department doesn't necessarily mean that you shouldn't take on something that you're looking at for that one department. I guess yeah. it's a question of how much time and resource do you have to put into implementing that. So that's probably one of the criteria that I think we would have said before implementation and setup time and speed is one of those things when we talked in week two i think it was about 10 things you should look at before you buy an ai solution that was yeah we we covered that didn't we not not necessarily just an ai solution but any solution how much time does it take to get it up up and running well if you're going to scale it across your entire business or even if you're not you're just going to scale it within your own department the costs are going to be proportionate so why not try something within your own team if it makes or even trial it in a small team within a team if you like yeah um Give it a try and see what difference it makes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and another thing that they, they, they put on here and another thing that we, we've come across is um, something they cite is, um, you know, 22% of them cited budgetary constraints yeah. to to these things. And, you know, how often have we spoken to people or, or heard from others where the answer is, oh, there's no there's no budget for any new, new software. Um, or alternatively, we've just bought a solution that's yeah. all the budget gone on that one. Yeah. Um, that seems to be a very common thing. There's never any money for anything. No, that's uh, Apparently. Right. Apparently um, there's never any money. And uh, I agree. That's, it's an easy get out to say that, isn't it? There's no yeah. budget for this. There never is a budget. But um, for people who are genuinely wanting to stay ahead of the curve, you should find one. And it's not necessarily just about spending the money, is it? You have to do a thorough, a thorough evaluation to be able to say, yes, this solution might cost me X, £100,000. Yeah. But what am I going to get in return? And um, if I can make £500,000 in either reduced costs or extra billings because I'm working faster and smarter, then £100,000 would be well spent. Yeah. Maybe the metrics are different. Maybe you want a 10 times return. But the point is sometimes you've got to spend money to make money, right? So yes. there's never a budget. So find one from somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So and, and don't look at it as, oh, we've just got to spend this money. You should yeah. be looking at it as what savings is that going to get us you know what benefits will that have for the organization yeah. uh, and those using it not just oh it's going to cost us x amount of money so we can't afford that well yeah it, and and maybe maybe this is the lesson for the startups is that you know if 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 met with the resistance that says there's no budget to bring in a, a solution like this maybe one of the questions is oh, what well really what cost benefit analysis have you done on on yeah. on this platform because without knowing really truly what the platform does you can't really say what the what the benefits are so you may have done a cost analysis but how do yeah. you know what the benefits are yeah yeah, definitely. And and there's a couple of other points. I mean, they, they say that, um, you know, um, 6% have said that, you know, the technology in the firms um, is just not agile. And mm. it, it, one of the things they cite is it often works, it works, it works well, but it isn't used well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's something that we touched on in another episode as well, where often... Uh, and I've seen in organizations that I've worked with where you have some great new solutions, some mm-hmm. great new products that go into uh, an organization. And those products work brilliantly and do exactly what you want them to do, but people just don't use yeah. them. Um, and 
there can be a multitude of reasons and that from issues in the actual initial scoping and project planning of what you're going to be rolling out and things like that. But also one of the items we we've touched on before is, is overload and stuff. You know, you can, what seems to happen a lot now is there's so many new solutions out there, all of them working in different ways. um, And you often have issues where, you know, all of them require separate logins. Yeah. All of them require work in different ways and it overloads the users when they actually come to do things you know they've yeah. got to go into one system to fill in their timesheets they've got to go into another system to do their budgeting another system to communicate with clients yeah all that kind of stuff and those systems independently on their own are really good and do what they should do but the overall impact that has on the user means that people just don't use them yeah um, you end up with password fatigue don't you and uh, yeah. you don't use them but also you mentioned earlier that the six percent figure described that not the technology is not not really agile and i think that's a key word because people are becoming yeah. much more agile now aren't they not only are people working in places shorter periods of time but they're actually working remotely as well a lot yeah. so um whether you're i mean if you if you need to log into six different solutions or platforms to do your job and they're not all mobile. You can't work agilely. Is yeah. that a real word? <laughs> you yeah, can't possibly, work, yeah. You can't work more agile, I suppose, yeah. um, if you can't log into all of those things. So yeah. uh, it's critical for those to all be genuinely agile. And a lot yeah. of a lot of old legacy systems like time recording solutions are only really just getting on to you know, being operated on mobile phones and so on. Yeah. So how can that be? And how can that be a, a, a truly agile solution when you yeah. can't actually monitor what you're doing while you're on the train somewhere? Yeah. It, 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 you know, there's a lot of catching up to do on that. Um, and access to documents that are saved within systems, you know, all that stuff needs to be truly agile so that whether you're working on your a laptop, or a desktop, a mobile, or an iPad, whatever, I see very few examples of anybody being able to genuinely work on an iPad. And I think that's probably how it should be. And that's probably where it will be in five or 10 years. But you know, yeah. there needs to be a lot of movement there. Yeah. And and it, we can also talk about when we're talking about Agile. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right, Neil. I think my my reading of that quote was wrong in that, you know, 6% of technology firms said that their, said that their systems were Agile. Um, so a significant set imply that mm. it's not Agile. And when we talk about Agile, it's in the state of, you know, being able to use it anywhere, mobile yeah. um, options like that. But also, is the software itself able to adapt to your business needs? So quite often with a lot of uh, software implementations, mm. you know, these implementations can take months, if yeah. not years to do. Um, and you sometimes have to change business practices to accommodate them. Yeah. Um, but if you're looking at something that's taking a year to implement, and in that time, the business itself goes under transformation. Mm. You know, there's mergers, there's acquisitions, there's new business practices are brought in. Can the software you're, or the solution you're buying adapt to those changes as well? Or have you bought something which, sorry, that's another year's implementation yeah. on top now because we've changed something else. Um, and that comes into sort of the final point that, that we had on here is that a lot of CIOs feel hamstrung by the infrastructure they inherited yeah and that's always a big case you know and that comes in with where we heard issues around budget constraints and stuff you know oh we've just spent two million pounds on a system so we can't buy anything else and we have to now use that yeah um and and 
there has to be that understanding of well things change and yeah you need something that can adapt yeah. with you it would be a brave person, wouldn't it, that would scrap a £2 million project if there was something better to go to. But I guess ultimately we are judged by the product and the outcome. And if, if you can spend, if you need to go in a different direction rather than doggedly sticking to something which you've started but isn't necessarily the best course of action for you, um, maybe that's yeah an indication to go in another direction so i think we had a, we had a couple of key points didn't we that yeah i guess it was a sort of our top t- top 3 tips yeah. uh, or advice for cios number 1 was yeah budget and how do you challenge that well um, we go back to that idea of cost benefit analysis you know spending money to make money figure yep. out how much your ultimate goal is going to cost you and figure out how much it's going to save and try and come up with a a suggestion that actually in the long run that you'll make more money out of it than you'll spend um number two was sort of understanding all of the systems and working on integration or pulling back on those platforms that you already have that aren't necessarily working that's sort of maybe scrapping some legacy programs that really aren't yeah aren't your um not your cup of tea and then number three yeah don't be afraid to sort of tear it up and start again if you've gone down one route one road and appreciating that you may be the person that recommended you go down one road and you may have to admit some mistakes that's obviously hard to to do but um in the long run run, it can really benefit to to, yeah you know in a in a project that lasts six months a year and you find six months down the line that actually it's not fit for purpose or you need to make changes you know that's not necessarily a failing that's yeah you you you've more understand the requirements now yeah um, and, I, and i think continuing with a with a poor system or at least the sub the sub ideal system versus changing is a worse mistake continuing yeah. with something which isn't work going to work for you there's a there's a phrase is the phrase sharpening the saw that you should make sure your tools are sort of fit for purpose and going to cut yeah. well rather than trying extra hard to cut with a blunt saw yeah exactly um yeah okay, okay so, so carry um, on yeah, we're, we're going to move on to our, our second item, which which was, um, uh, this is related to the ESAs. Um, they published a joint advice on information and communication technology, risk management and cybersecurity. Uh, so this is the European Supervisory Authority's joint committee. Um, not necessarily law related, but no. um, an interesting topic if you want to... Yeah, I think it's probably worth reading a couple of things. So the yeah, the European um, Supervisory Authority, the, the reference to the Joint Committee is three institutions. So that's the European Banking Authority, EBA, the European Insurance and Occupational Pensions Authority, EIOPA, uh, and the European Securities and Markets Authority, ESMA. Now, this um, there are a couple of different documents they've produced... Um, one is the joint advice on the need for legislative legislative improvements relating to information and communication technology risk management requirements. And the other one is joint advice on the costs and benefits of coherent cyber resilience testing framework for significant market participants and infrastructure. All a bit of a mouthful. Very but... much so. <laughs> Very much so. Well what, well, what else would you expect from a European commission-led... Uh, yeah. Uh, um, policy but uh, recommendation anyway the, the point is these are financial and banking regulatory things that are coming in and so it may not seem on the surface immediately relevant but it but i think we will get there and explain why why it is so the european banking authority which is one of those three institutions yeah. um 
has issued guidelines on information and communication technology, security and risk management. And just a couple of things from that. Um, relevant entities should perform a variety of different information security reviews, assessments and testing so as to ensure effective identification of vulnerabilities in your IT systems and services. Uh, specifically, the entities may perform gap analysis against information security standards, compliance reviews, uh, internal and external audits of systems, information systems, or physical reviews. Furthermore, as it keeps going, the relevant entities should foster source code reviews, penetration tests, or red team exercises. So um, what on earth does all that mean? I'm not a technical expert, so most of that, a lot of that, doesn't mean an awful lot to me. So let's 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 work our way through some of let's that. Let's digest some of this, yeah. So yeah, yeah I mean, it, it's it's all we're all talking about cybersecurity here, and this mm. is a huge thing now. Um, as I said, this isn't necessarily aimed at the legal industry; mm. these papers, but you know, the fintech industry in itself is much more mature than yep. the legal tech yep. industry. I think we we all agree with that. Yep. Um, and, you know, along with that comes these analysis of, okay, do we need guidelines for cybersecurity and, and things to follow? Mm. Now, although this kind of legislation thing isn't in place for law firms at the moment, <laughs> it's something that's going to yeah. arrive at some point, not least because the law firms are dealing with these kind of organizations yeah. uh, and have the same security requirements. Um and it's something that that firms need to be aware of and need to look at um, as they move into a more cloud-based, open yeah. um, software solutions um, and and platforms. Yeah. Um, you know, the days of having your security based on everything being behind your corporate firewall yeah. are, are are gone now yeah. Yeah. Um, you know clients request access to information uh, you have to integrate with external systems things have to be open yeah. now um, and the majority of the service providers out there now are cloud-based solutions yeah um, which are can be hidden behind sort of vpns behind virtual private networks so can be hidden behind your firewall but benefit greatly from being external facing yep. to the internet um, and it's about how do you accommodate that and how do you make sure that those systems are not vulnerable mm. um, so linking linking it to the to the legal industry and law tech generally you mentioned that fintech is, is is sort of further ahead and so if you have to come up with a crystal ball maybe this is one way of doing it and saying well what fintech does law tech might follow yeah. so Will we see the SRA and other bar associations coming up with similar regulations to govern all of this? They yeah. may well do, but you may also be captured by, in this country, the FCA's requirements that will probably in incorporate a lot of this. Um, but more directly relevant, what I want to just touch on briefly, this it mentions specifically source code review. Yeah. So most solutions, virtually all, don't think we've come across any yet that will sort of publicize their source code. So how does one carry out a source code review when the code, the source code, is held externally with a third-party supplier? How, how do you do that? Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's very rare that software organizations are prepared to, to hand over their code for external mm. 
source code reviews and, and, and things like that. Um, now, that's not always a requirement. Um, you know, that's going quite in depth when you're talking about source code reviews, but there's potential when you're dealing in these kind of areas that mm. something like that may be required. You can't necessarily, you know, a software provider may specify their security, um, mm. but in the end, it's a black box. What goes right. on within the system, you're just not not aware of. Um, you know, one of the ways that you can get around this kind of thing is looking into things like open source. Now, there's not a huge amount of what you would figure open source software solutions out there directly aimed at law Mm. firms. Um, But actually, some of the technologies that these systems are built on are in themselves open source. Um, You know, a lot of software solutions now are built on things like uh, Microsoft.NET Framework. Mm -hmm. Um, That in itself is open source. You can go on to... Um, the GitHub repositories, yeah. download that entire code base and sift through it if you want to. Yeah. Things like uh, the Linux operating system, which a lot of applications actually run on, is open source. You can go yeah. and look at that. Um, and you shouldn't assume that you get security by obscurity. So yeah. okay. in that because it's a black box and it's hidden, that makes it secure. That's mm. not the case. Mm. In fact, for things like open source solutions, they can be more secure because people can see the code, people can run tests on that, recognize when there are issues mm. and and fix them easier. Mm. Um, if you've got a black box solution, how do you really know what's going on inside that? How do you know how secure it is? The communication in and out might be secure, but internally yeah. within the application, is there security in place? Okay. Um, so there are... There are options for that. I mean, they're only options if the provider offers those those mm. solutions. And as I said, I don't believe there's a huge amount of open source solutions in in the sort of law tech area at the no. moment. But you know, those that may change in the future. But yeah. so GitHub is owned by Microsoft, right? And you, is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah, it is now. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't, um, but they've they've integrated it so much with their systems that they recently yeah. purchased GitHub. Um, but it's a huge. Um, it was used a long time before Microsoft purchased it. Sure. Um, so they, they who, who never really used to share source code are now doing it in quite a big way, which they, says something, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, um, they were very closed, and, and yeah. Microsoft themselves are now pushing a huge amount of their software to open source now. Mm. Um, well, if it's good enough for them, then, it, what, you know. Exactly. Um, so, okay, so that's interesting. I think you mentioned last week as well about, or maybe it was last week or the week before, about Firms that have the internal expertise can go and use Microsoft um, chatbot source code, and yep. that's just all available. So yeah. there are options for the firms that want to get in or that might be operating in the financial space, banking specifically, um, to use open source code, which would solve potentially any regulatory issues for that specific point yep. by going and doing it themselves. Yeah, exactly. You can build your internal systems on some of these mm. frameworks. Okay. Um, and then you're you're able to meet these kind of things. Um, but yeah, it's it's a whole holistic approach here that that we're saying. You know, you although this is new now in the legal tech area, mm. you really need to be concentrating on cybersecurity. This yeah. is a big issue coming. Yeah. Um, 
um, the fintech areas of, of, of are looking into this and they're putting legislation in place. It's going to come into the law tech area. Yeah. You're going to be expected when you're audited yeah. and you're using all these software as a service subscriptions, yeah. uh, software as a service solutions, they're going to want to know the security level of that. What are you storing mm. in them? Are they secure? Yeah. Um, so you need to start asking these questions of those providers and digging deep into the security that they offer. Yeah. Um, well, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, and again, it was another raconteur article. It was the general counsel's view and the the sort mm. of C-suite board members' views on you know things that they're going to find most challenging over the next few years and cybersecurity was one of the things that was commonly quoted as being a big issue for which they are not ready. So, yeah. you know, this yeah. ties into that in many ways. It's it's one of those things where you, there's just going to have to be a huge amount of investment over the next few years for people. Yeah, like definitely. And 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 you know, just to close this off, we've um we're going to be talking about an event later as well, but the National Cybersecurity Center, this is a a UK government organization. Mm. Um they publish a lot of guidelines on this kind of thing, what you should be looking out for yeah. um, around cybersecurity. Uh, and one of the things they published, I think it was back in November last year, um, but it's still relevant today. Um, they offered a uh, service as a subscription security guidance. Okay. Uh, and in that, they actually look at some of the platforms available, including things like Office 365 and yeah. things like that, and go through and list the security aspects of those platforms. Um, So as always, the the links are going to be in the descriptions Mm, of, of, of the videos and the audio Uh, go and have a look at this stuff. There's, there's information out there and you know, this, all this is coming. It's, it's very easy to say, we want to go and look at these whizzy new applications and go and use them, but you need to start asking these questions. You need to make sure that cybersecurity is taken seriously in your organizations um, because of this drive to open things up more to the web. Um, yeah, doesn't look like you can get it wrong. So that's recommended reading, which we'll feature in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. So now on to um, item number three for us, which is what we mentioned at the beginning, which is the Land Registry's blog post that came out the day after we we um, hosted our last or filmed our last um, and said no one cast. no one's using blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> They proved us wrong. They proved us wrong, uh, which is fine. I mean, you know, happy to be proven wrong. But there's two aspects to it. First of which is a digital mortgage, and again, the the link to the uh, blog post will be in the show notes, so you can have a look at that later. Yeah. It's it's relatively short, so it's quite an interesting read. But we just read a little bit from it. So uh, the first bit, they're celebrating the first anniversary of the first digital mortgage to be completed and registered. Um, now they quote the. This is a quote from the blog post. Um, digital mortgages it removes the need for wet pen on paper signatures and witnesses no longer need to be present when the documents are signed homeowners no longer face delays having to print out forms find an independent third party to witness their signature and return the forms by post so great that's a bit of a time saver but i think you and i have a not a difference of opinion but we are, I think our relative wowness is, is different on this, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting situation where we, we, we kind of agree on this and, you know, for myself who, you know, I, I live in 
computer systems and stuff now in that mm. digital kind of world this is exactly what i want yeah. um I, I in any dealings that i have and when i've you know dealt with things like buying a house and things like that um i there's nothing i hate more than having to sign documents or having a document sent through and said this has to be witnessed by someone yeah it's just always means that the process is going to take 10 times longer than it should Uh, and i'm always interested to think of you know how how secure is my signature on something Mm. you know is that really secure whereas something like a digital signature i would deem could be more secure Mm -hmm. than a signature um so for me this is exactly what i think i I hate this kind of thing but the situation is different for you isn't it or or slightly different different. for me i i would concede uh, so i have to caveat my preference heavily as any lawyer would i think but i all the caveats (laughs) exactly i don't want to pin you down on anything but uh no um nor do i want to be pinned down in future because i would i can see the i can see several advantages look big picture it's faster yes certainly so and i'm and i am a big advocate for improving things and getting them to go faster and also property is such an illiquid asset anything that can be done to move a property or frankly anything in uh, where it where the process is slow should be encouraged so i i like the idea of that yeah. and i also agree that it's much it's it's much harder to forge a digital signature than a you know than a than a pen on paper signature yeah. so that's fine but i personally don't find this as a significant delay i mean this to me would be a one day delay but I would concede I've been on the receiving end of a paper that's come through to me, a, a document that comes through to me, signed and not witnessed properly. Yeah. I mean, that happens a lot. You know, it's not very hard to get it right. But the number of times that it goes yes. wrong is significant. Or, yeah. And so it causes delays. Yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, you do work in an office full of people who can witness your signature, <laughs> whereas that's uh, not the case for but, a lot of people. Yeah. But, <laughs> and also, I guess I could, I would take it for granted that you know, I and all of my colleagues know what we're doing with this sort of thing. So yes. it, it is not a problem for us to just print one of these things out, sign and witness. And it, it, so that, and also, you know, we work in an office where we can, we can slip it in the post tray and pay the postage. Yeah. So we don't have to wander down to the post office for, for Joe public. If I call it that, call them that, then this is probably a much quicker yeah. and, and easier solution. I think this is going to take a great deal of time to really gather momentum though, because I think there's still plenty of people who would be skeptical and scared and yeah. how and how would you even start this whole electronic signature? Well, it's a gov.uk promoted thing. Yeah. That's how you do it. You go through that sort of thing. It identifies you on. But I don't know how that works for co- you know companies and corporates or overseas individuals. Yeah. I don't think it works in the same way. So there's some work to be done on that. And if we just quickly look at through who the banks are, I'm just going to read from the yeah i was going to say who who actually would allow you to do this at the moment well some that i'm just i'm not familiar with atom bank coventry building society clydesdale yorkshire banking group first direct hsbc metro bank molo finance or molo finance nationwide mortgage works platform which is a trading name of co-op bank principality building society rbs and natwest santander skipton building society and West Bromwich Building Society. I, the only thing I can people I can think of on that are missing are really Lloyd's and Halifax. But you know, maybe the, the older work. traditional banks. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's, it's telling that people like Metro Bank are yeah. on here who you know are pushing the, that kind of mm. digital future. Yeah. Um, 
But then I think you'll see, I mean, several of the sort of private client banks aren't on there. And I think they probably see the, although speed is critical to them as well, it's not necessarily warranting. Many of their clients will be overseas clients, but it's not necessarily warranting of going away and finding a a digital way of doing it when they have people that can deliver papers to them and sign them. So um, I think there's, oh, there's also some, we, we talked briefly before the show about what the rules are, which we won't cover here, but this is not really our domain to talk about what the rules are about a properly executed document. But the land registry... Yeah, we, we, offer, we offer no legal advice on this podcast. That, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so don't, don't, we're not, we're not don't going down that point road. anyone in our direction no. for that. <laughs> Quite right. Well, but people who, people, a lot of people might say, well, doesn't the signature have to be witnessed? And there is there are statutory provisions that the law society, excuse me, not the law society, that the land registry will tell you enable electronic digital signatures and if you have any discomfort with that i guess i i guess you you would say well look land registry are willing to underwrite this process by saying they are comfortable with digital mortgages they are going to register them assuming they meet whatever criteria they've they've set out and they're going to they're going to guarantee the title which would include presumably the guarantee of the mortgage so to the extent that anyone's worried about oh it doesn't work legally well but Land registry seems to be underwriting, underwriting it. it. Yeah. Then. So, okay. So let's move on to the second bit of the of that press release, which is the blockchain aspect. Um, Land registry through its digital street program has successfully used their blockchain prototype to show how buying and selling a home can be made simpler, quicker, and demonstrating the digital transfer and ownership of property in Gillingham. Uh, the technology has been developed through conversations with stakeholders across the property market and tested with close cooperation of Mishkondorea, Premier Property Lawyers, uh, Shield Pay, and Yoti. Yoti? Y-O-T-I. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Yoti, maybe. Um, so they've put us to shame by saying we're now using a blockchain. I don't really know how that would look, though. Um, we, we, we touched briefly last week on how or what a blockchain is, but we didn't go into any thorough examination of it, and there might be people watching that, that really don't know what blockchain is. Do you think it's worth having a discussion about that now well i think I, I think we can we can bring it down into sort of a, a simpler view on this and and when you're talking about blockchain what you're in reality you're talking about is a distributed ledger yeah um and blockchain in itself is a technology that enables a distributed ledger mm. to be um consistent uh, mm-hmm. and locked in so it guarantees that anyone looking at this this ledger sees the same thing and yeah. all entries are accurate in there yeah um so so that's that's the key thing you know the the blockchain technology is in is an enabler of yeah. a distributed ledger system um, and guarantees the information that it can contains and i think that's where you know this is being used in uh, sort of a in this land registry thing, you can guarantee that where in this ledger it says, you know, this land is registered to this person. Yeah, that is guaranteed, and that cannot be changed in yeah. the, in the in the ledger. So it's yeah. safe insofar as the any change to the record has to be approved by a certain number of users, right? That so, yes. For example, if we take the title to this house, for example, 
if I wanted to change that the ownership of this house had changed from you to me, then yep. that would have to be approved by a certain number of people. They call them nodes. Is that right? Yes. And, and yeah. So it's got to be approved by whatever the threshold number of nodes is. It has to meet that criteria. And that's your safety element. Yes. So so basically in, in a in a in a blockchain scenario that um or in a distributed ledger scenario that transaction would be pushed out um and it would be added to the ledger mm. by one of the one of the nodes um and that would then get distributed through the network um and if a another node had added it to another block um but hadn't got there at the same time and got there slower the one that had distributed out the most initially mm. is the one that wins and that becomes the master copy right. um so th- there's a lot there's a lot of intricacies in there yeah. but but yeah we you should understand it as you know once it's written into that distributed ledger mm. then you can guarantee that it it cannot be changed right um so and i think that's the key thing here that you've now registered that this person this this property has changed hands and you know that registry of that mm. is now locked into the ledger okay um, and you can always trace back its history mm. um well that's something that i find quite interesting because sometimes people do say to you or oh, could you tell me you know what the title looked like five years ago and that's easier said than done it's possible but it's um not as straightforward yeah. as perhaps it might be under a blockchain so i like the idea of that um but I, I still sort of, I struggle with the concept of how a blockchain would work for land registry. And I don't think, I know the UK land registry or the English land registry is quite keen to be the the sort of uh, the standout, I think. But I think the Swedish land registry were first on the scene with it. But nonetheless, yeah. um, it's it's an exciting proposition to, to see them doing it. Yeah. I would just, I'd be interested in having a chat with them at some point. Hopefully we can get them on to have a, to have a chat um, about how it actually works in practice for the conveyancing firms and solicitors that are dealing with properties. So if I'm submitting my application, which currently is their land registry AP1 with the transfer or whatever else I need to send them, somebody at the land registry, some individual person puts, you know, gets an electronic application nowadays. I mean, it was only about five or seven years ago that we were doing paper applications. So um, you get the electronic application, it's through the land registry portal and somebody there deals with it and um, it isn't always the quickest process and I would be interested to know well how do the applications get submitted under a blockchain who are the various nodes that are approving them is it yeah, different I mean, land registry offices I mean, yeah who I is mean it? I mean that was one of the questions that I had and, and, it, and it's 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 you know it's key to mention here that although we can talk about blockchain and a distributed ledger from a high level of the mm. principles that it allows and stuff for the specific implementation of the land registries hmm. blockchain prototype, we don't have the ins and outs of how that actually works. But yeah. yeah, one of the key things on here is, you know, the the key part of a distributed ledger is that it's open and has multiple nodes in that network. Yeah. Now, it can't really be that the land registry has the only node mm. um and does this themselves um it, if that was the case there isn't really point in using a blockchain to be honest <laughs> yeah. um so i'm assuming that they have other entities involved in it so yeah who else is 
hole mm. in this data and is it something that's open you know well, it, things yeah. like you know everyone knows blockchain from bitcoin yes it's the primary you know yeah. that's where it all started um and anyone can be a node in that blockchain i can download the bitcoin code mm. now install it on my local pc and become a node in mm. that chain um is that the same for the land registries information well, who who knows um so yeah it would be interesting to to get some more information mm. on this and how they're actually from a technology point how are they implementing this how are they yeah. running it i'd love to know i i struggle with the idea of being able to just download and become a node because to me specifically with something like a, a land registry you have to be a trusted source so maybe i mean they're mm. saying they're working in cooperation with mishkondre and property uh, excuse me premier property lawyers shield pay and, and yoti maybe they are nodes i don't know yeah. if anyone but, from those organizations yeah, is but listening let, or watching then yeah let us know if, if anyone has any further information on it it's a really interesting topic and it's yeah. something that you know it's going to come up more and more yeah definitely um, of we, these usage and and it's it's one of these areas where it's a bit of a unknown as well people just yeah. don't understand these things and the more clarity we get on it the better um, yep definitely i mean the more clarity the better we you know the more that we can understand it the more prospect it has hopefully to succeed and, and people, yeah, people can engage with it because nothing's going to succeed without proper engagement is it so let's let's hope that that, yep. that turns into something significant yeah okay um yeah so and and, and finally i think to to close out today we've we've got one event on there and it, and it mm. goes back to the the um, the second item and but but also covers other items as well there is a um we mentioned the national cyber security center yeah. in in second second uh, news item and their uh software as a subscription um guidelines um it's actually their cyber uk 2019 event on the 24th and the 25th of april uh, which is at the scottish event campus in glasgow mm. uh, and i'll just read you the blurb for this uh this is hosted by the national cyber security center and cyber uk features world-class speakers solutions and opportunities for interaction between the public and private sectors you will be briefed on the evolving cyber threat and how we must respond as individuals and as a community to keep britain safe in cyberspace so again interesting topics and something that's going to come up more and more as firms begin to move their operations into yeah definitely. sort of SaaS solutions and other online yeah. areas and if that's if that's de- that sounds to me like it's dealing directly with the concerns that we raised a few weeks ago you know the general councils were having with cybersecurity being the main issue and then being unprepared yeah there is your answer hopefully if not at the actual conference which is two days then um hopefully there'll be some info comes out of that and, yeah. and, and people there and that can give you the answers yeah. And then the other thing which we wanted to mention is that next week we'll have our first guest on the show, which um, will be Rupert Vernals of Stratology. You know, we've known Rupert for a little while and he's running an excellent course on, if you ever wanted to do an MBA, then Rupert's course is the one to take because he condenses all the key ideas of an MBA, specifically for lawyers. And I think he's now um, talking to lots of different industries, but he was a lawyer himself He's done an MBA. He will teach you the key components of an MBA over a couple of days. Um, and I think his course is built around the idea of you being of it being a flexible course and so, building so your own. Yeah, so you build your own MBA course yeah. out of it for you. So he's worked, we know that he's worked with several of the, the leading firms, a lot of Magic Circle and some Silver Circle firms. 
we know he's worked with some public sector organizations so uh, i'm quite excited to have him on the show yeah so we're just going to be talking you know about legal technology and you know what firms are looking for in their training on legal technology now uh, and if and if they are indeed looking for any training on it or, or not yeah um, and some so, consultative services so you know, yeah uh, tune in next week for for rupert vernals of stratology yeah uh, so true. i think we're there um right, yeah well we've we've a bit shorter than last week, which is what we wanted to do. Yeah, Get back to 45 minutes. Um, any viewers' feedback, then send it to us at panashcast at panashsoftware.com. Or, of course, you can get to us, as, as we mentioned earlier, on, on Patreon, patreon.com slash panashsoftware. Yep. Um, and other than and that, until next, next week, we'll be back again next week. Yeah, see you then. Yep. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye.